0: Hi! Welcome to the CGOB Sports Show podcast. On this episode, Murat Atesh joins me to talk about the big win by the Winnipeg Jets in Game 5. Can they keep it going in Game 6? Also, one of the great stories in Manitoba sports this year, the Swan Valley Stampeders of the MJHL are one win away from the Turnbull Cup Final. They've never won before. Should be a party in Swan River Thursday night. Can they do it against Portage? Their governor joins me, and one of Manitoba's best mixed doubles curling teams joins me, Colton Lott and Kadriana Sahidek. It's a busy one on the podcast. We bring in now Murat Atesh of The Athletic, friend of the show who went to St. Louis to cover games three and four. Murat, how exciting was that last night?
1: It was an absolutely brilliant game from start to finish. Maybe not so much the start that the Winnipeg Jets wanted, but the tension built, um, and they survived St. Louis's storm until the third period. Tarasenko's goal had everybody nervous. I saw Kevin Shevel day off and in and around that time. And believe me, there was tension in, in that man's uh, disposition. And I thought I talked to some of the Jet staffers at that time as well, too. Some hearts were absolutely racing. But Winnipeg has played a good series, a strong series. It's well within rights for this thing to be tied heading back to Winnipeg for Game 5.
0: What is it about the start that doesn't seem to matter? Because the team that scores first has lost three of the four games in this series.
1: I think it's at the point of the season where both teams have their game. They know what their forecheck is supposed to be. They know what their back pressure is supposed to look like. Each team has superstar players on it. And Tarasenko getting that goal last night. And then Mark Scheifele going supernova um, with that superstar performance as well. I think these guys just know who they are and what their game's supposed to look like. I think if you're the Winnipeg Jets, the most impressive thing is that there was not a lull after Tarasenko's one nothing goal. The Jets started pouring it on immediately, which wasn't the case earlier in the series. I really think that these teams, St. Louis being hot throughout the second half of the season, has maintained that, while Winnipeg, they struggled, but they found their game immediately. I don't believe in switches, but it doesn't matter because Winnipeg has flipped theirs.
0: Now, the question is, can they carry that over into Game 5? We've heard from multiple players that don't really believe in the concept of momentum when it comes to the postseason season you can see it in maybe some other series. Vegas has just turned a corner against San Jose and Columbus obviously is a fantastic story, but is it really just like that? Put it away. And game five is who knows? It's another coin flip. You know what? I have
1: to be honest. I do see it that way. You know, I, I was talking to some analytics folks earlier today that, that were conveying that for a best of seven hockey series to de- Determine who is the better team is actually quite close to a coin flip because teams in hockey are so close and there's so much randomness in the game. You'd need something like a best of fifty something in hockey to be the equivalent of a best of seven in other sports such as basketball because that's how random and that's how um, that's how close these two, these teams are. And it's not just a matter of figuring somebody out and dominating them from from there on out. So I don't think any of these two teams has the answer on the other one necessarily. Uh, home ice advantage hasn't even mattered so far to this point. It's uh, road teams are uh, 2-0 and thus far each. Um, so in terms of a game-to-game momentum, I don't really see it. But within the game, I have absolutely seen it in each of these cases. In game one, when David Perron scored the 1-1 goal, Winnipeg sat on its heels, and you could see that Tyler Bozak goal coming from a mile away. Game two, Winnipeg had turned it on in the second period, but that Connor Hellebuck gaffe. Turned into a Patrick Maroon goal. And if you look at the analytics of that game, Winnipeg just falls apart, doesn't get too many shot attempts at all through the rest of that second period. St. Louis leans on them. Um, And it's been like that. And maybe if you're looking for game to game momentum, take solace in the fact that after Tara Sanko's goal last night, there wasn't a lull from the Winnipeg Jets. They came out and Check hard. And then there was that superlative play from Blake Wheeler to Kyle Connor to Mark Scheifele. And then over time, uh, it was just the Winnipeg Jets
0: playing the right way all the way through from that point onward. So the line structure that we've seen, the two games in St. Louis, there was some changes made after the game two loss. Kevin Hayes goes to the fourth line with Matthew Perot and Jack Rosovic. The Little Ealers line A line that we've talked about before goes together on line two. And then the TLC line reunited. Is this the best optimal structure for their 12 forwards?
1: Well, in terms of how Paul Maurice runs it, it's it's a very clean decision for what he wants. Both coaches are very content with the Shifley versus O'Reilly matchup, one versus one. And then Paul Maurice likes to use that cop Lowry and Tanev line in a matchup capacity. They've been playing against Sundquist a lot, a little bit of Bozak, a little bit of O'Reilly as well. So in terms of decision-making, and then he's able to use the Hayes line or the Little line as sort of secondary offensive options, it's paid off so far. Some of the long-term analytics, if you look at the the year that's been, Little Ehlers and Line 8 traditionally haven't worked particularly well. But then you see a guy like Patrick Laine thought of just as a scorer, making really aggressive back checks, winning pucks on walls, and things that we might not necessarily associate with him taking a major leap in his game last night. Believe me, if that's who the new Patrick Laine is, the Winnipeg Jets <laughs> forward depth is exactly what they want it to be right now.
0: Now, Kyle Connor is is no secret to Winnipeg fans that he is a great young player. Maybe this is his coming out party on a national stage the people's be like oh this guy's really good how much of a superstar in the making is Kyle Connor
1: you know i have a really high esteem of him and it's it's so great the almost the opposite of liney and how consistent Kyle Connor's offense has been uh, I really do want to give line a credit because of youth and because of uh certain backchecking things I actually see the details in line a's game as, as worth celebrating especially for his age I still see him as the player with the higher ceiling that said that Connor had a coming out party against the National Predators last year with a couple of those given goals with Mark Shifley and the way that they were able to take over a parts of that series and the fact that he did it all through the season again uh, another 30 uh, goal season for him and then what he was able to do last night. Winnipeg is in a luxurious position where they have guys like Connor Ehlers and Linea all coming up at the same time as Mark Scheifele's at his peak and Blake Wheeler can still make plays like he made on Alex Pietrangelo to, to set up that game-tying goal. Uh, this is the window for that reason because all of these guys overlap right now and I think that Winnipeg fans wanted to believe that. There were some reasons not to towards the end of the season. There were some struggles. But the Jets have started to fire on all cylinders. And I I think, uh, tell me if I'm wrong, but I think around the city the belief has sort of come back in as the the players have gotten those results, thanks to that Kyle O'Connor overtime
0: winner. I would have to agree with you on that one. Now, we've seen this building be incredibly loud in the last couple postseasons, but the reality is they have lost six of their last seven playoff home games. Is there any real reason for that is it just coincidence that in three different series they have lost a bunch of home games
1: as far as I'm concerned it has to be because that's the simplest explanation is that it's a coincidence and you know home ice advantage does give certain things like last change coaches have a little bit more power over certain things and in, in terms of last change in the matchups that they get but then you point out the record just as you did and you think of You know, Mark Scheifele, who I think had his best game in the series in game four, but the last time he played in Winnipeg, he was running players and he was hitting players in dangerous positions, took two penalties, negated an offensive chance on one of them, and then a dangerous hit on another. And maybe... I'd be willing to entertain the idea that the emotion of this sometimes does get the, the better of certain people. I still think home ice advantage is real. And I still think that the Winnipeg Jets having two out of three here in uh, in Winnipeg to, to close out this series. I think that's an advantage
0: for the team. Okay, before I let you go, just talk about the defense for a moment. Josh Morrissey coming back from injury, Dustin Bufflin coming back from injury. Is it safe to say that maybe it took them a few games to get going in the postseason, especially Morrissey. Now, you know, he comes right into the postseason, and Bufflin's definitely been a different player games three and four.
1: Yeah, I I think with Morrissey... The, it's so hard for him because he goes right back into that top matchup sort of situation. I mean, if there's a defensive pairing that's getting more of O'Reilly, Tarasenko, and Shen, it's Morrissey and Truba. So he goes from 0-60 to 60 in an awful hurry. And unlike Bufflin, who had a couple of games at the end of the season to sort of warm up to things, he just has to go and, and make sense of it and make it work. And uh, I think that he's been playing better as things have gone along. And then Dustin Bufflin, we all know that he's a, a very special player for the Winnipeg Jets. One of the angles that he adds to, to Winnipeg's offense has helped him get through the neutral zone against the Blues a little bit better than I thought, is he is a fourth player to attack the Blues line. And certain players on the Jets, like Blake Wheeler, for example, make really excellent east-west passes through the neutral zone that sort of come in as a second layer of offense for the Jets. And Dustin Buffins being able to have an impact in, in that sort of way as well. There are certain things about these two guys that make the Winnipeg Jets look like the Winnipeg Jets. And, and I think that um, it's, been, it's been there through four games,
0: uh, by and large. All right, Murad, I appreciate your time as always, and we'll see you down at the arena tomorrow night. Love it. Thank you, Christian. Thanks for having me. The Swan Valley Stampeders took a 4-3 triple overtime decision in Portage last night to take a 3-2 lead in the Turnbull Cup final. One win away from their first-ever Manitoba junior hockey title. What a story in Swan River, which is where we find Kramer-Colthart tonight. He's governor of the Stamps and a former stampeder himself. Kramer, how late were you up last night?
2: As late as it took. Like, uh, yeah, I was just kind of on the edge of my seat waiting for the for the game to end. But um, oh, you can't go to bed in a situation like that. No, I was up right till the bitter end and then couldn't sleep for a couple hours after that, it seemed like. So pretty wound up for tomorrow.
0: Absolutely. So uh, that was the first game that a road team had won in this series. To do it in triple overtime, what does it say about this team?
2: Well, I think they're just resilient, and I think that the community and everybody else has seen that throughout the year. It seemed like December and November and December, they were always playing from behind, and you can never count them out. They were always coming back and winning, and that's been the case a couple times so far in the playoffs. And then, you know, you see it again last night, the most important game of the year. They come back and, and force overtime, and then obviously it took a couple periods to get it done, but they got the job done. So proud of the guys there.
0: How tense was that to, to wait two and a half periods to see the, the final result and get the win.
2: Well, it was, it was really tense because, you know, the hockey TV feed wasn't working the greatest, so I actually had the radio going, and and the radio wasn't synced up with the hockey TV, so I was kind of watching or listening on one device and watching on the other. So, yeah, it, w- it was tense, but uh, it's a good time of year. It's um, That's what you want in the playoffs is for games to be exciting like that. So just fortunate to be a fan and a uh, fan of the hockey club and, and see them doing as well as they are.
0: I said two and a half periods, 146 into the third overtime period, but still, you know, it was it was a battle <laughs> for sure. So what is that environment going to be like tomorrow night with the Turnbull Cup? It could be Swan Valleys tomorrow night.
2: Yeah, no, it's a huge, uh, it's a huge moment for our franchise. Um, obviously, they, it's a lot, I'm sure it's a lot of pressure on the guys. I hope they're not feeling it too much. Like I haven't gotten any work done today just because it seems like everybody you run into around town is talking about tomorrow and, and, you know, the possibility of clinching this thing. So, you know, it's obviously every every year you start out and, and, you know, your goal is to make it to the finals or win the league. And that's obviously hasn't happened for us. So we're, we're pretty happy with the spot we're in right now. And, you know, we're just... Same thing as usual, just day by day. And hopefully guys can get the job done tomorrow.
0: Well, yeah, the fact that this is the furthest that Swan Valley's ever made it, and it's not really close, really, that this is the unprecedented run for this team. How much... Or response has there been obviously in the community all year they've been cheering for you guys but here in the final wh- how has it been elevated well it's just
2: it's like a snowball effect right the further you go and just you get 10 more people to a game right and then they get talking and it's uh the businesses have put their put their money into this team for a long time and then uh so everybody's got their signs out in the windows and you're seeing you're seeing business uh owners wearing jerseys the game days at work and and uh you know the schools have been out cheering and you know it's just everybody's jumped on board it's just kind of been remarkable to see actually it's you kind of get a loss for words when you see how many like we had to send off for the team there last week they're going to portage and it seemed like the majority of the town was outstanding on main street you know waving them off and yeah no it's just it's just kind of proud moments um Obviously, it's something you work. We've been working for for a long time, and it's just nice to see a lot of the pieces come together and and have having some success.
0: Having played for the Swan Valley Stampeders yourself, ha- did you ever dream of this day when you were playing to be able to participate in a in a home game with a chance to win the title?
2: Yeah, no, I did. Like, I think it was my 19 year old year. We had a pretty good year, and and uh, we ran into the Dauphin Kings that were hosting the RBC that year, and. You know, it never worked out, but we made it just to the second round, and that in itself was a, an accomplishment for the franchise. And you know, it was a proud moment. And you I mean the only the only thing that could make this sweeter, you know, the possibility of hoisting the Turnbull tomorrow would be, uh, you know, doing it as a player. And obviously, that didn't happen. But but still, it would be a really proud moment for our town and and for our franchise for sure.
0: So, how did you end up as governor?
2: I. Uh, I I said this before, it was kinda of just a, a battlefield nomination. Um the governor at the time had had stepped down off the board and and obviously I was the new guy and and uh there was a meeting upcoming so I just kinda of threw my, my name in the hat and, and away I went, just kinda of with uh with an open mind and open eyes and open ears and and uh just kind of snowballed from there, just kind of enjoyed enjoyed the atmosphere and getting to know some of the guys around the table and, and uh just kinda of been a big learning experience for myself.
0: Now you just turned 29. Are you the youngest governor? Is that kind of unusual to be this young to be a governor of an MJHL team?
2: Yeah, I certainly think it is. It uh no, I'm probably the youngest by t- 20 30 years or something like that, but uh maybe it's a good thing, right? It you bring a different perspective and not being, you know, not very long removed from from playing, you know, junior A hockey, it uh maybe you get a little more insight to, you know, how how players think about the league and, you know, what it takes to recruit and things like that. So, um, you know, certainly don't have the experience that a lot of the guys have in regards to, you know, the different bylaws and, you know, in the operations and stuff, but, um, I did diff- bring a diff- different aspect. So, you know, it can be uh, a good thing
0: too. Was there a pretty big learning curve when you took over? Yeah, you
2: know, it is and it isn't. It's, I mean, it's just like anything else you do in life. It's, uh, you know every day you try to learn something and pick something up from what other teams are doing. I think I said this in an interview last week it's like every every team's so unique right We all operate in different markets, so things that work for Steinbach or portage or Verden, they they don't work for our club right You kind of have to have to find what works best for your, for yourself and um but no just try to take something from from some from uh, each team every time you go and and bring it back to the board table and try to improve yourself.
0: And for those who may not know, what does a governor do?
2: Well, my job is to to represent Swan Valley Stampeters to the MJHL and also represent the MJHL to the Swan Valley Stampeters. So just kind of uh, you know put on put on the team hat when I go to league meetings and put on the the league hat when I'm uh, talking to our own club here.
0: From talking to people around the league, what has been the reaction to Swan Valley's run here? Not just in the playoffs, but having one of the best regular seasons that the franchise has ever had.
2: Well we're happy it's the the year's kind of been just a big one eighty right because um obviously our coach stepped down at the start of the year, so it was kind of a mad scramble, and Barry fell into our lap and he's just kinda you know taking us to the next level but you know like I said earlier, it's every year you you strive to you know go as deep as you can and and to uh and to make the finals, so you know obviously the pieces fell in place this year to do that and I think uh, you know I've just been getting lots of calls and text messages over the last couple of days Of people are excited for us to make it this far, and they're happy to see you know the the reaction of the community and the people supporting us and oh, it's just been really good all around
0: and I imagine it'll just only get bigger if you can get that win tomorrow night. Well, I sure hope so, right it's uh you know
2: every every game from now on should continue to be to be a lot of fun to be a part of, and no it's it, it, no it's been awesome.
0: Right, Kramer, I I appreciate your time today and best of luck tomorrow night. It could be maybe the most memorable night in the in the history of your town.
2: No, thanks a lot. We uh, appreciate the support and pre- appreciate the
0: uh, the exposure here. Kramer Coulthard, he is the governor of the Swan Valley Stampeders. Game six, Thursday night, tomorrow night in Swan River. It's a great story. We'll see if they can continue their fine run. Joined now on the line by Colton Lott and Kadriana Sahidek. They are a mixed doubles team out of Winnipeg Beach, and they are going to be going to Beijing next month for the Curling World Cup Grand Final. Thanks for joining me. Hey. Yeah, So, no so let's start with you, Colton. Uh, how did you wind up in uh, in mixed doubles curling?
3: Uh, well, you know what? It all started probably about a couple... Couple of years ago, I just our home club here had a bondspiel, like a little mixed doubles bondspiel. They're trying to bring it out and see what could potentially happen with it. And uh, so we played. Adrienne and I played in it. And in the following year, our uh, our curling club had uh, a league start up. And that's been going on for the past two, two years, three years now? Okay. So we've been playing in that. And that's kind of what started me getting into the mixed doubles aspect of the game. But yeah, that's pretty much how it all started.
0: Okay, and for you, Adriana, what was the biggest difference between four person curling and then going down to two?
4: Uh I think it was more of your playing all, um, all part, like all parts of the game. So you're either calling line, you're sweeping, um, you're choosing, um, what type of play to play. Um, you're more, uh, involved in the game than as if you were saying, uh, playing more of a front end or a back end of, uh, regular curling.
0: Now, were the two of you n- normally playing uh, front-end or back-end positions when you're on a four-person team?
3: I I play back-end. I'm a third. I've been playing third probably a good part of my life.
4: Um, I've only – I've probably played both ends. So I'm pretty comfortable playing um, both. I I'm just starting getting more into the competitive – curling so i'm i'm going to be playing second next year on my girls team um but i know i feel like i i'm comfortable playing both parts
0: okay so when you get to the world stage for mixed doubles was there anything that maybe surprised you colton that that uh you know you're a young curler that's going into a a big-time event like that, was there any kind of learning curve, or were you kind of pretty comfortable where you were?
3: I was fairly comfortable. Uh, like, I've had a few experiences on the international stage of curling, and I think me being able to bring that experience made both of us that much more comfortable, too, and it just, like, I, I knew going there what to expect, yeah, there's there's obviously higher caliber teams, well known players that we're gonna play against That uh that I've never with, like really well that's yeah, like I haven't really played before on like a world standard like that, but it didn't really bother me too much because I know we can beat anybody and mixed doubles make it like it it could go either way with any game.
0: And so to make it to a number of finals and then to win the the final of this curling world cup leg in Sweden a couple months ago, KAdriana, what was that like to get the gold there?
4: Um it was pretty uh overwhelming. Uh we were both uh we played such a great week. Uh it came came to the final um final games for um a couple of us out there and um, you know, we just kept playing um, like we normally do. We play, we have fun. Uh, we try to do our best and we just kept playing up until the end. And it just worked out our way that we were able to get to that final, the final game and uh, our final game. We had an excellent game. We came out strong. Um, we got those first couple of points in the first half and we just kept pulling through and it, um, it, was well played by both of us. And we're just so happy to finally have that gold medal around our neck.
0: Now, Colton, this curling world cup concept is new. How has it gone over in the curling community?
4: Uh,
3: yeah, no, it's, yeah, it's definitely new. And it's, it's, I I don't know. I, I think it's a pretty, pretty. Like neat thing that they, that they started to do and, and like, the event that we went to and i'm sure the other events that that happened we like we thought it was well run and and i think it gives it gives other teams that chance to witness an international level like a world level of curling like like us we we got nominated to go for curl canada and that's 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 an opportunity that you never really come across. But because of this this kind of event, that helps the odds of that happening, which which I I think it's great, and it gets and and, and it makes it like it makes the, the season more interesting too.
0: And now the grand final coming up in <laughs> Beijing next month, Kadriana, How excited are you to go there?
4: Uh, pretty excited. I didn't, wouldn't have uh, imagined I'd be going all the way uh, across the world to China. Um, it's going to be pretty weird curling in May. Uh, I don't think I've ever curled past the middle of April. Um, but it'll. I'm super excited to be traveling uh, across there and uh, playing with Colton. It'll be quite the experience.
0: Well, Colton and Cadrianne, I appreciate you uh, joining me tonight on the sports show. And best of luck to you both in Beijing next month.
4: Thank you so much. Thank you Thanks for having us. All
0: Thank right. You. Check out the CJOB Sports Show weeknights from 7 to 9 p.m. with Christian O'Mell and the Sports Show Podcast. Not available on iTunes. Not available on Google Podcasts. Not available anywhere you get your favorite podcasts Yes.